So offering is up. Let's. Uh, this morning we have a very special guest. Seriously, I've been I've been pumping this to you for a couple of weeks that uh, Kale Horvath and, and Brooke would be here, uh, and their son Judah uh, from First Baptist New Philly. Uh, Kale is a young man who has a tremendous call of God on his life. Uh, he is uh, a man that loves God's word, uh, and you will certainly be convinced of that by the time this message is over uh, this morning. But I, I've known Kel and, and had the opportunity to meet him several times, and just from a distance, you know, we've had a friendship. I feel like really the last few days God's just allowed us to deepen that friendship, and he's a good brother. And uh, I told him he's going to be going to, to Hungary uh, prayerfully by next summer with his family uh, to, to plant churches and to train nationals and to be about what we're about, uh, planting churches and making disciples uh, of all nations, and that includes Hungary. And so he's going to share about his uh, burden for Hungary, but he's also going to preach to us because we just sang a couple of songs that we'll follow the Lord anywhere, and we also sang whatever it takes. I want to be more like Jesus. Well, the way God's going to do that is he's going to give us his word, and we're going to get to examine our life and hear from God's word and see where things aren't lining up and then submit to his word in our life. And so we've already prayed through worship and through praise. We've already really prayed to prepare our heart for what God has for us this morning. So as he comes this morning, you give him a good welcome. We're glad he's here. Uh, his wife, Brooke, is here as well. And so you come, brother, and, uh, and bring the word of God to us, brother. We're glad to have you. Oh, man. Well, good morning, church. How are we doing this morning? Awesome. Well, I am excited and honored to be here at Community Fellowship Baptist Church. Uh, like Jay said, I've, I met Jay several years ago, probably for the first time at the Certainty Conference. So um, certainly uh, the Certainty Conference is a good thing to come to. If you can come up to New Philly, uh, it's about 25% of the size of Huntsville, but it, we have a lot of fun. Uh, the church is abnormally large for the city it's in, so that'll catch you off guard. Um, but it is a fun time, and if you can't make it all the way up, man, Tune in uh, because we're going to have uh, Joe McCaig and uh, James DeCoker, both pastors from down here in Georgia and Alabama, speak in the morning sessions and the evening we'll have Mark Trotter. I don't know if you guys, have you guys heard of that guy before. Yeah, he'll be there too. He'll be there in the evenings and uh, we're incredibly excited for that. Uh, like Jay said, my name's Cale Horvath. Brooke is here. Brooke, you want to stand up really quick? This is my wife, Brooke, and uh, our son, Judah is in the nursery right now, so thank you guys for taking care of him. Uh, I just want to share with you briefly about um, our ministry, and uh, honestly, if, if you guys would, before you leave here, please stop by our little table there and grab one of our prayer cards, hang that on your fridge, and the, the biggest thing you can do for us is just pray. I'm a firm believer that God wants us to pray big. He wants us to pray, and big, I'm, I was a youth pastor for four years, so you bear with me. You're going to have a lot of youth pastor quips here. But big stands for praying believing, praying incessantly, and praying God-sized. Those are all things that God, in his word, tells us we need to pray believing. And if we pray believing, then he'll grant those prayers. And if we pray incessantly, you know, 1 Thessalonians 5 tells us to pray without ceasing. And we need to pray God-sized prayers. If our prayers are too small, then... We don't need God to answer them. We need to pray things that are God-sized that only he can do. And so if you guys would partner with us in prayer, that would mean the world to us, um, just knowing that we have believers in northern Alabama praying uh, for the work that God is doing in Hungary. Um, if you want to go ahead and just go to the next slide really quick. I've only got the one here. If you've not heard of the country of Hungary or just not aware of where it's at, it's in eastern Europe. It's bordered by countries like Slovakia and Romania and the Ukraine, Croatia, Austria. They used to be one empire way back. Back in the day, um, about 10 million, pe 
people live in the country of Hungary, and several Hungarians live in each country surrounding it because it used to be much larger. Uh, But about 1.8 million, almost 20% of their population lives in the city of Budapest. And so uh, outside of Budapest, there's a lot of poverty, a lot of agriculture. Um, But they're, man, they're a good people. Uh, My family is actually Hungarian. The last name Horvath is a very common uh, Hungarian last name. Uh, Don't let that fool you. I don't speak the language. You know, I'm not a good Hungarian. Uh, My family's been over here three or four generations. So that was just the first thing that led us to go visit and to see the country. And uh, we partnered with a a brother, Pastor Brett Bartlett, up in uh, northern, well, he's in the Toledo area in Lambertville, Michigan. He had been ministering there for years, and we went and visited, and God has just touched our heart. We've been going uh, every year since 2014. I've been there seven or eight times. My wife has been there several times as well. And so we just started ministering and, and saw how much God is moving in that country. Uh, the, the country is heavily Catholic, staunchly Catholic. In fact, it is the culture there. The culture is Catholicism. Since its inception, since the country was founded in 1000 AD, it has been Catholic from the get-go. And so 90% of the country about would be Catholic, staunchly, traditionally, culturally, and then less than 3% is evangelical. And that's not just Bible-believing Christians. That's anyone who's not a Catholic. So less than 3% of that 10 million people knows Jesus Christ as their Savior. And when you stand, like I have many times, up on a high point in the city of Budapest and look out over the city, and every single light in the night reflects about 2 million souls, and you can guarantee that 97% of them would go to hell tomorrow if they all passed or the rapture happened. Uh, I can't sit here and let that happen. I can't can't sit in New Philly, Ohio, um, enjoying the comforts of life knowing that those people don't know Christ. And they're so close, guys. They're so close. Because they think they know who Jesus is. They, they, they're not an atheistic nation. They're not a Muslim nation. They have Jesus in their culture. It's just the wrong Jesus. And so we're, we're going there. We're praying that God would raise our money up quick. We have, there's, uh, you know, hundreds of converts there from even before I started working in Hungary with Pastor Brett. And there's sheep without a shepherd. And God has just called us to go and to start churches, disciple those believers, and teach them to evangelize and so that we can reach the country of Hungary for the Lord. So would you partner with us in prayer and just pray for the country of Hungary that God would reach Hungary by any means necessary. Uh, like, like Pastor Jay said, we are hoping to raise our money by next summer so that we could just get there. So we could just get there and move by the end of next summer, hopefully if God would allow, and, uh, and to move and to start planting churches. So we're excited about that. I just, man, thank you guys for having us, for listening. If you'd like to know more, please come check our, our booth out. Grab some of that stuff. We'll tell you stories about them, about some of the people we know that we've led to the Lord there. Um, Colin already asked, what's up with the Rubik's Cube? Invented by a Hungarian guy. So there you go. There's your fact for the day, if, in case you didn't know. Hung- Rubik's Cubes. Invented by a Hungarian guy. Well, that's the short presentation. If you want to know more, please check out our website that's on the prayer card, all that information. You can sign up for newsletters from us. You can check out our Facebook page. It's all on the prayer card, so just grab one of those. Uh, We'd be happy to tell you more about our ministry and how God's calling us there. But this morning, uh, we want to open God's word and see what he has for us. Amen? So why don't we just pray really quick and ask the Lord uh, to teach us and to open our hearts. Father... I come to you this morning. I thank you for this wonderful church, Lord, that has a, a rich history of preaching the word and, and, and wanting to, to make disciples. And so, Father, I just pray that this morning as we open your word, Lord, that you just set me aside. Lord, I pray that the Holy Spirit would be in this place and would teach the word. It is the Holy Spirit that reveals the word of God to us. And so, Father, I pray that you'd be here. You'd open our ears, open our hearts to hear what it is that your word has to teach us this morning and would show us what we need to do in our lives 
to look a little bit more like Jesus as we sung earlier. So Father, come and teach us through your word. It's in Jesus Christ's name that I pray. Amen. Okay. Taking my missionary hat off. Putting the preacher hat on. Are you guys ready to study God's word this morning? All right. Amen. Praise the Lord. I hope you are, man. We, we always need to go to God's word ready to change to what it says, to conform to what God's word says. Because if I bring something to the table, a bias or an opinion to the table, and God's word disagrees, God's word's not wrong. I'm wrong. I need to change. I need to conform to the image of Jesus Christ, which is the word of God. And so that is what we're going to seek to do this morning. I tell you what, so, so you know, do the happy missionary dance over here. But man, we're, we're going to study the Bible now. I, I hope to make you uncomfortable this morning. I really do. Because you know what? A comfortable Christian has never accomplished anything of worth for the Lord. Never. It's anyone who's ever accomplished anything of eternal value for the Lord, at some point in their life became uncomfortable with their current state and what they were doing. And they got uncomfortable, and they gave their life to the Lord, and they said, I will follow you anywhere. And notice the, the, oh man, I love that song that we sang, because the bridge says, wherever you lead me, whatever it costs me, this is going to cost you something. Jesus says, it, you know, the Son of Man is not a place to lay his head. We have places to lay our heads. Are you willing to go wherever God calls you? Are you willing to do whatever he calls you to do here in Huntsville, Alabama, even if it costs you something? So this morning, I hope you become uncomfortable because this message, this word, this Bible makes me uncomfortable. And it pushes me every day to be more like him. And now, as you know, I was telling you a little bit about our calling to Hungary and what we're hoping to do over there. As you could probably imagine, uh, the, the, the time between my feeling called to the mission field and actually being sent is pretty significant. Some time has passed between I felt like God was calling me to just be in ministry at all and then actually being sent to the country of Hungary. I actually felt uh, the desire to be a pastor when I was 16 years old. When I, was in, when I was in high school, I grew up in First Baptist Church of New Philadelphia since I was born. It's a great church. I've learned to love the Word of God from my pastors, to love ministry, to love people through my church. But it wasn't until I was 24 years old that I actually became a pastor and went on staff at our church. Well, that's eight years. Well, you were young, I know, but think about how long eight years is to a young person. That's forever. God called me or gave me that desire, and eight years later, it was realized. I, I felt God calling me to surrender my life entirely to him to missions when I was 21 years old, and today I'm 28 years old, and by the time we're on the field, it'll be 29 or 30. That's a long time. That's a long time between God putting a desire or a burden in your heart and then actually bringing it to fruition. That's a long time. And what I've noticed over the years is that many men of God in my life have a similar story. God gives them a burden, a desire in their heart to do something for him, but there's a significant time of preparation in between the burden or the calling and the actual sending from God to go do it. I don't think that's a coincidence because we find many men in the Bible that are just like that as well. Just for example, you have Joseph. Joseph in the Old Testament was 17 years old, the Bible tells us, when he had a dream of his brothers and his family bowing down to him. That's a weird dream to have. But he was 30 years old when he stood before Pharaoh as the second in command of Egypt. Genesis chapter 41, 17 to 30. See, he sees a literal vision in his dream. We would just call that a burden or a calling. 30 years old before he sees that come to fruition. The Apostle Paul was Saul. He was saved on the Damascus Road in Acts chapter 8. And it wasn't until Acts chapter 13 that he was sent by the Holy Ghost to the work that the Lord had called them to. 
And if you read it, commentaries or whatever, they think it could be anywhere from six to ten years between Acts chapter 8 and Acts chapter 13. What I'm saying is when God calls a man or a woman to do something for him, that's not the only step. There's a preparation period. There's God proving his man before he can use him. There's other examples in the Bible of this pattern. But the pattern is this. God gives the man his burden, a vision for serving him. And then after an extended amount of time, God sends them to do it. Why is that? Well, that's because God needs that time to prepare his servant for the job he has for him. And that's what I want us to see today. Because regardless of who you are or what background you have, God has called you to serve him. If you were a Christian, he did not rapture you at the moment of salvation because he left you here with work to do, right? And so whatever it is, whatever the next step is in your walk with Christ, we need to understand that God has a process to prepare you to be the servant he needs you to be to whatever he's calling you to do. Perhaps you've felt in the past called to the mission field or just ministry in general, maybe. I don't know. Maybe you're like, I'd like to do that someday. I feel God calling me to missions or to ministry or to serve God with your life. Whatever that is. After all, God's given us a great commission, hasn't he? Right? Matthew chapter 28, verse 19 and 20. Go ye therefore and teach all nations. Right? Mark 16, verse 15. He said to them, go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. It's a lot of absolutes in there, isn't it? That's a lot of work to do. How dare we, as Laodicean Christians, sit back in the comfort of our home and say, well, God's called that guy to do it, but I'm sorry, brother, God hasn't given me a calling. I disagree. (laughs) It's written down for us. Maybe you've already felt to go. Maybe God's given you a burden for reaching people with the gospel in your city. Praise the Lord. Maybe you're wondering what's next. You know, what, when will my pastor send me? When will I get to preach or to teach a lesson or to do whatever it is? When will I lead a ministry? Well, I hope today through the word of God that you can learn what is next through for you. Through the story of a man that we don't really talk a lot about when it comes to missions. We're going to look at the life of Moses this morning. The life of Moses. Moses is a mission. Well, hang with me. We're going to see that Moses is a unique man. He's a unique man in history. He's a unique man in scripture. He's a man with a unique calling from God. He was a man that God used to do amazing things. A man who led Israel out of Egypt after hundreds of years of bondage. He led a nation of one to two million people to wander through the wilderness to find this promised land. He parted the Red Sea with the help of God. He led Israel through 40 years in the wilderness. He's a man that the Bible says pastored the people, the church in the wilderness. Cross-reference that. He was a man who beheld God's glory. He's a unique man indeed. And I want to start by looking at the beginning of Moses' life. Now, not all the way. We're not going to go back to the baby in a basket part. But but I want to look at the part where he says, let my people go. You know, that, how, how did he get to that? To God using him to bring his people out of Egypt. Well, as I said earlier, number one on your study sheet, Every man or servant of God in general first has a burden from God, a burden from God. We have a very, very simple outline this morning, but I hope you see that it's biblical. It's not just something that a pastor jumped up one day and said, this is how you grow in the Lord. No, no, no. This is how God proves his man or his servant. So you all know the story. Let's go back to Exodus chapter 2 for a moment. Moses doesn't grow up in the house of his parents, the Israelites, right? He grows up in Pharaoh's house. He grows up prosperous with plenty of wealth. 
In verse 11 of Exodus chapter 2, it says, As it came to pass in those days when Moses was grown, that he went out unto his brethren and, notice, looked on their burdens. Put that in your back pocket. We'll need that later. And he spied an Egyptian smiting in Hebrew, one of his brethren. And he looked this way and that way. And when he saw that there was no man, he slew the Egyptian and hit him in the sand. He killed him. Skip down to verse 15. Now when Pharaoh heard this thing, he sought to slay Moses. But Moses fled from the face of Pharaoh and dwelt in the land of Midian. And he sat down by a well. Okay, so that's the basic story, right? Moses goes out. He looks upon the affliction of his people. He sees it. Gets a burden for it. Takes matters into his own hand. I don't want to get ahead of myself, but he goes and he kills an Egyptian. Pharaoh's after him. He runs away to the desert. Now, if you go to Acts chapter 7, we have New Testament revelation on that story from Stephen, the martyr. Right? So Acts chapter 7 is when Stephen gives this really awesome sermon where he summarizes a lot of Genesis and Exodus. Right? That's a great Uh, chapter to go read and have a good understanding of what happened there in the Old Testament. And he's giving this to the Pharisees as he's preaching at them and rebuking them for killing Christ, the Messiah. And as he's doing that, he tells us a little bit more. He gives us a little more divine insight into Moses. And it says, Moses, starting in verse 22, was learned in all the wisdom of the Egyptians and was mighty in words and in deeds. And when he was a full 40 years old, it, notice, came into his heart To visit his brethren, the children of Israel, and seeing, that's after it came into his heart, seeing one of them suffer wrong, he defended him and avenged him that was oppressed and smote the Egyptian. For he supposed his brethren would have understood how that God by his hand would deliver them, but they understood not. So what Stephen fills us in on is that Moses didn't just kill an Egyptian because he was an angry man. He had a burden from the Lord. To deliver his people, he saw the affliction and God stirred up his heart. It came into his heart to visit his brethren and to deliver them. And he actually had a burden to deliver them. And he thought that his brethren would understand. But verse 25 says they didn't understand. They didn't follow him right there. He desired to deliver Israel. It was a burden that God gave him when he saw the need. So I want us to see that a burden, here's your first bullet point. A burden starts with a stirring in your heart from God. That's important. Because any of us can go out and see a need and think, I need to do something about that and just assume it's God calling you to do it. This, this is a burden from the Lord. It's a stirring in your heart from God. And often, just seeing the need can translate to stirring in our heart that, man, I need to do something about this. Maybe some of you guys just need to surrender to this year or next, maybe next summer going on a short-term mission trip just to see God's heart for the nations. You can't replace that, man. You can pray for the nations. You can do all the wonderful things that we ask you to do. But, man, just going and seeing for yourself, it'll change your heart. It'll change how you give. It'll change how you pray because it'll give you a burden just to see the field that it's white, ready to harvest. Maybe God would stir up your heart with a burden. Maybe you just need to go out to Huntsville and look around with God's eyes. Pray that God would give you his eyes for the people in your own city. Stir up a burden. When God needed resources for building the tabernacle in the Old Testament, Exodus 35 tells us, they came everyone whose heart stirred him up. Who stirred their hearts to give to the tabernacle? God did. Everyone came and gave whose heart stirred him up. Because obviously we know that our heart is evil and desperately wicked who can know it. But when God gets a hold of a man's heart, he can stir it up for what his heart beats for. Amen? And so we need to pray that God would stir our heart, that he would give us a burden 
for something. It's God who works inside of you to do his will. Philippians 2.13, for it is God which worketh in you both to will and do of his good pleasure. Yes, your heart is wicked and desperately evil. Who can know it? But with a little help from God and the Holy Spirit, he can use it. He can mold it. He can take that heart of stone, make it a heart of clay, and he can mold it to be what he wants it to be. And he can use you. He can give you a burden. A burden is a good thing. It's seeing or understanding or a need or a problem and desiring to be a part of the solution. Man, that's how I first desired to be a pastor. I told you earlier, I was 16 years old and I just desired to be one. Well, that might, well, that doesn't sound very spiritual. Well, 1 Timothy 3.1 doesn't sound very spiritual then because it says this is a true saying. If a man desires the work of a bishop, he desires the good thing. That's a good start. You desire that, young man? That's a good thing. It's not all. That's a good start. But you have to understand, like I said, a burden is only the beginning of God using you, Christian. After all, the next six verses after 1 Timothy 3.1 is a list, an extensive list of character qualities that a man must possess if he's going to be ordained as a pastor. So you can't just desire to, you can't just name it, claim it, brother. <laughs> you can't just, I want that, I'm going to take it. No, 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 that's the start. Now you need to follow God's process. Notice this. This is your next point. When Moses acted upon his burden in his youthful zeal alone, it ended in destruction. A burden acted upon with only a youthful zeal results in destruction. Because you're doing it in the power of your flesh, not in the power of God. Moses wasn't ready. He wasn't prepared. God didn't prove him yet. He had the burden, and he acted of his own accord with only his youthful zeal as his power source. And what that happens, young man, young woman, when you get a burden from God and you do your own thing and you don't follow your pastor, you don't follow the word, you don't follow what God tells you to do, you will end up with casualties. That's what you end up with, unnecessary ones. Because the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit. And if a baby has that sharp of a sword, he's going to wound some people. He's going to hurt himself. He's going to hurt others when he was trying to help. Because the Bible's sharp. In the hand of an experienced surgeon, it can dissect and heal. But in the hand of an unexperienced, zealous youth, it can destroy many innocent bystanders. So, you get that burden, and then you submit to God and say, God, what do I do next? Show me what to do. You don't just go out on that burden and destroy people because Moses wasn't ready. and He wasn't mature enough to carry out the burden he received from the Lord. And that's why a burden leads to number two preparation for the servant of God. It's great to have a burden. I'll tell you what, there's many Christians today in Laodicea who had a burden from God when they got saved or early on, and they didn't do anything about it. There's a really, I don't usually give a lot of book recommendations, but there was this book, that's a, it's, it's an uh, allegory. You know what an allegory is, where a story is told and it means something else? And it, it's called the, the Dream Giver. It's a good little book. It's just an allegory about a, a guy named Nobody <laughs> getting a dream from the Dream Giver. Guess who that is? But everybody else has gotten a dream from the dream giver, and until he acted upon it, it was just a dream. It's just a burden. Until you follow God and actually do what he asks you to do, it's just a burden. So you've got to be prepared, servant. Moses needed some preparation, some proving, before he would be ready to accomplish what God was calling him to do. And for Moses, <laughs> it was being a fugitive from the law in the wilderness for 40 years. Now, it didn't have to be a fugitive. That's because he was reaping what he sowed, Right? Christians believe in karma. We just call it sowing and reaping. <laughs> That's what it is. 
He sowed to the flesh. He reaped of the flesh destruction. (laughs) He was a fugitive from the law for 40 years and dwelled in the wilderness. But God used that in his life. He used the circumstances from his own decisions. You know, sometimes we're caught in a storm and we wonder why God did that to us. You know, it might have been just from our own actions. We might just be reaping our own consequences. Well, God can still use it, though. Praise the Lord. He can use, man, he can work anything together for our good to those that love him and are called according to his purposes, right? Praise the Lord that he's merciful and his mercy is long-suffering. And God used him living on the backside of a desert for 40 years, tending sheep. Exodus 2.15, when Pharaoh heard this thing, he sought to slay Moses, but Moses fled, right? Well, Acts uh, 7, go back to Acts 7, verse 29. Then fled Moses at this saying, and was a stranger in the land of Midian, where he begat two sons. And when 40 years were expired, that's how we knew he was there that long, there appeared to him in the wilderness of Mount Sinai an angel of the Lord and a flame of fire in a bush. Have you ever thought about Moses' 40 years in the wilderness, not just as hiding from Pharaoh, but as being proved by God? Have you ever thought about it that way? Moses wasn't ready to deliver Israel yet. He thought he was, but he wasn't. And I, I can speak from experience as being a young man of God at one point. I know I'm still young, but listen, man, I'll tell you what, 10 years makes a difference. <laughs> I can tell you from experience that when you get that burden, you think you're ready. Standing over here doing jumping jacks. Here I am, send me. Why won't you send me? Because you're not ready, man. You're going to hurt yourself and you're going to hurt some other people. So preparation, here's your bullet point, equips the man for the mission. That's what it does. It equips the man for the mission or the servant or the lady for the mission. When Moses acted on the burden, he showed his youthfulness, his immaturity, his lack of experience. Because he acted out of anger and aggression. He was destructive. He wasn't ready to shepherd a million people because he never had to lead anyone before. See that? So sometimes we as young people, or it doesn't matter your age, where are you at in the Lord? We're like, man, I'll go do this. I'll go to Hungary. Well, praise the Lord. Have you ever led anyone? Well, no. Well, what are you going to do when you get there? The Lord will show me. huh? (laughs) Huh? Be careful with that. Does God really send men and women to other places who aren't doing the work right here? I don't think so. I've seen guys think God was sending them, and they skipped out. They didn't do what their pastors told them to do, and they left a wake of destruction in their trail. And that's what Moses was fixing to do. Been in, I've been in Alabama a couple weeks. Forgive me. That's what he was fixing to do. <laughs> you didn't even notice. <laughs> he never had to lead anyone before, so God sent him to the desert for 40 years to learn how to shepherd sheep. That's what he did. To learn patience. To learn humility. He went from living in Pharaoh's house to living on the backside of a desert, cleaning up Sheep feces, right? Man, can I tell you, if you feel burdened today to do something great for God, man, that's awesome. But chances are, I don't know you, chances are you're not ready. You lack experience. You probably lack patience. I don't know. If you got kids in here, how many of you kids have taught you some lessons in life? Okay, well, think about pastoring a church as leading a bunch of kids. Because there's a lot of inexperienced kids in the church who just aren't mature believers, And if you don't have any experience in that, you're going to fall on your face when you go out to some country you don't speak their language, to some culture you're not familiar with, and you're trying to lead people to the Lord and you've never done it before. That's what God does, the preparation. It actually equips the man for the mission. It's not just hoops. It's not just hoops to jump through. It's equipping you for the mission God has for you. For me, it wasn't 40 years in the desert to learn humility and patience, but it was years of training. It was a big storm that lasted a year of my life. And, you know, it was two years as a maintenance man for our church, uh, vacuuming carpets and scrubbing the toilets. That taught me a lot. And then you get up and you preach behind the pulpit, and God reminds you, remember, you're just a toilet scrubber. 
Yes, Lord, I know that. I'm nothing. I'm a nobody. There are some things, Christian, that God needs you to learn. And there are some things God needs you to experience. But that's okay. That's good. God, as well as your pastor, doesn't want you to run into the world unprepared. Doing damage to yourself, doing damage to other people, doing damage to the testimony of Christ. You can do that if you're unprepared. That's why desiring the office of a bishop is a good thing. But we don't ordain or send a novice, which is a rookie, right? You see that in 1 Timothy 3.6, not a novice. Why? Lest being lifted up with pride, he fall into the condemnation of the devil. Man, how many times have you seen that? We're down here in the Bible Belt. I'm sure you know someone who wasn't ready, but they were sent, they were ordained, and then they fell. That's a shame. It's a shame for the people who laid hands on them, 1 Timothy 5 tells us. Lay hands suddenly on no man. Neither be partaker of other men's sins. That's why if you've got a good godly pastor, he didn't ordain you a year after you said you'll go. He said, let's learn. Let's be patient. Let's, let's see you get some experience in ministry here. Let's serve the body behind the scenes before you get to do it up on stage. That's, that's what a good pastor does because he's a father. He teaches you. He parents you, right? There were times in my preparation process, I'll be honest, I'll just be transparent, of becoming a pastor and, and, and getting into ministry that I felt like God was holding out on me. And man, I'll even confess there were times where I felt like my pastors were holding me back. But you know what I didn't realize? It was me holding me back because I wasn't ready and God was the one pulling back the reins. And praise the Lord, he's a good father. And he was doing that. They weren't holding me back. They were pre- protecting me and they were preparing me. And I'll tell you what, everything that I learned in ministry at my church, whether I was on staff or not, gave me the experience and taught me lessons that I'll need for hungry someday. I don't know why or when, but I know I'll need them because that's how God works, right? The good and the bad. The good and the bad. The burden comes first, then the preparation, because preparation takes time. Moses wasn't ready, but check this. I want you to see this. Moses wasn't ready, but Israel wasn't ready for Moses either. Because in Acts chapter 7, look at verse 27. But he that did his neighbor wrong, this, this is when Moses was you know, going, he saw two Israelites fighting, and he went over, he wanted to break them up. He had killed the Egyptian not that long ago. What did they say? Who made thee a ruler and a judge over us? Wilt thou kill me as thou didst the Egyptian yesterday? Israel wasn't ready for them to lead him either. Did you ever think about that? Maybe what God's calling to you, not only are you not ready for it, it's not ready for you. Because God's timing is perfect. Moses wasn't ready to lead Israel. Israel wasn't ready for Moses. That's why God needed to prepare and to prove him. Proverbs 17 tells us about that, that fining pot that is silver. And when God uses you like your silver or gold and he refines you, what does he do? He turns up the heat. And then it boils the impurities to the top. And what does he do? That dross, those impurities, he scrapes it off the top. Because it becomes more pure as it goes. 1 Peter 1 tells us that the trial of your faith, being much more precious than of gold that perisheth, though it be tried with fire, might be found to the praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ. God's going to use you and work in you that way. And I'll tell you what, from personal experience, God turning up the heat in your life, it hurts. Storms, tribulations, trials, impurities floating to the top, it hurts. Some things you didn't even know were there. And God shows you and you're like, oh, I didn't even know I was dealing with that. And I'll tell you what, dross scraping, that hurts too. (laughs) Surrendering those impurities, repenting, apologizing, sanctification, that's all painful. But it results in a more pure lump of gold. 
And, you know, as the, define, the divine refiner is refining you, every time he goes through that process with you, each time he can see his face a little more clearly. He can see his reflection just a little bit better as he, you let him conform you to his image. We need to be like David, church. We need to say in Psalm 139, search me, O God. Search my heart. Know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts and see if there be any wicked way in me. And lead me in the way everlasting. You know what that means? That David wasn't aware of any. And he was asking God to show him the ones he wasn't aware of. How many of you prayed that prayer recently? Most of us are aware of what we need to work on. But imagine being to where you need to be and saying, God, there's got to be something else you need to refine in me. And asking him to find it. Because preparation equips us for the mission. In the second point, preparation filters out the phonies. This is, this is a byproduct of the preparation period. Many Christians, like I said earlier, have a burden. Many Christians at the beginning, they're zealous to serve the Lord, but when they find out it's going to take time and work to become the person God needs them to be before he sends them, they flake out. Ever see anyone like that? What happens is they prove themselves to be posers and phonies. I know that's hard to hear, but I've seen this in my life. I've seen this in our church. And what God's refining preparation process does, well, what it doesn't do is it doesn't play favorites. There's parity in God's refining process. It's very equal. Those who stick it out and push through and obey God and submit and surrender, they'll make it to the other side. Those who are lazy won't. You know what they'll do? You know how this flushes out practically? They'll move to other churches who don't require faithfulness. They don't need proving. They just need a resume. You just got to be a smooth speaker. You just got to be exciting. You just got to be zealous. What do we see zealousness does? It's not enough. They'll just move. They'll just find another pastor to take them on staff because they think that the the staff position is the destination. It's not. If you aren't doing the work of a minister, the work of a minister of reconciliation and ambassador for Christ before you ever get paid for it, you won't do it when you're paid. And that's just the gospel truth. They'll leave a wake of casualties and destruction in their path. We don't want that. We want in 2 Timothy chapter 2 to be vessels of honor. In vessels of honor and dishonor, if you look at that passage, it says in a great house there are not only vessels of gold and silver, but also of wood and of earth, some to honor, some to dishonor. Listen, Christian, I don't know if you've ever noticed this. All those vessels are in the house. Those, those vessels of dishonor aren't lost people. Those are people that are in the house. And you get to decide if you want to be a vessel of honor or a vessel of dishonor. Well, what's that mean? It means, do you want to be the golden chalice in the hand of the king? Or do you want to be the wooden pot that gets used to wash dirty laundry or, let's just say, get rid of refuse? They're all vessels in the house and they serve a purpose, but which one do you want to be? If you will let God, look at verse 21 of 2 Timothy 2. If a man therefore purge himself from these, he shall be a vessel unto honor, sanctified, and meet for the master's use. And prepared, there it is, unto every good work. Man, you want to do something great for God? Allow him to prove and prepare you. And purge out the impurities to make you a vessel of honor that is meet for the master's use. And I'll tell you what, everyone has a different timeline. Some might be 40 years like old Moses over here. Six, eight, ten, I don't know how many years it's going to take God to prepare you. Just like we didn't know how many years it was going to take for Israel to make it through the wilderness. That's really up to you. How, are you going to submit to God and let him prove you? Don't compare yourself with other people. You're going to have other young men and young women or whatever age. I'm sorry, forgive me for saying young men and young women, but that happens to be who is pondering these things. You're going to have other people your age going through the same process. You're going to be like, well, why are they ahead of me? doesn't matter. 
Don't compare yourself with other people because here's what's happened. Here's the deal. God is preparing you to be the man or the woman that he needs you to be for the mission that he has for you. You can't compare yourself to other people in their mission. And when you can come to peace with that, you'll get more peace. You'll sleep more at night. And you won't worry about getting that staff position or putting resumes out or whatever you're worried about. If you'll make it through to the end of the preparation and not flame out during that process, he'll send you. And that's point number three. A servant sent by God. A servant sent by God. Because after 40 years of preparing, God visits Moses in the form of a burning bush. And he's sent. We're running out of time here, so I just I want to read Exodus chapter 3, part of that. Because I want us to see the interaction between God and Moses. We're going to see the transformation. That's on your study sheet. The transformation of God's servant. Because 40 years ago, we had a, a man acting in his youthful zeal alone. 40 years of preparing later, we're going to see a transformed man. Look at Exodus 3 and verse 1. Now Moses kept the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian, and he led the flock to the backside of the desert and came to the mountain of God, even to Horeb. And the angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush, and he looked, and behold, the bush burned with fire, and the bush was not consumed. Moses said, I will now turn aside and see this great sight. Why the bush is not burnt. And when the Lord saw that he turned aside to see, God called unto him out of the midst of the bush and said, Moses, Moses. And he said, Here am I. It's off to a good start. And he said, Draw not nigh thither, hither, put off thy shoes from off thy feet, for the place whereon thou standest is holy ground. Moreover, he said, I am the God of thy father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face. He was afraid to look upon God. And the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people which are in Egypt. And I've heard their cry by reason of their taskmasters, for I know their sorrows. And I'm come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians, and to bring them up out of that land into a good land and huge. Isn't that wonderful? Flowing with milk and honey. Verse 9, Now therefore, behold, the cry of the children of Israel has come unto me, and I've also seen the oppression. Verse 10, Come now, therefore, and I will send thee unto Pharaoh, that thou mayest bring forth my people, the children of Israel. The children of Israel out of Egypt. That's the burden he had 40 years ago. Now Christ is there and he's sending him and he's saying, you're ready, go. And what's he say? Look at verse 11. I want this to stick with you, church. Verse 11. Moses said unto God, who am I that I should go unto Pharaoh, that I should bring forth the children of Israel? Listen, I know he argues with God a few times here and he probably should have had more faith. But notice the transformation. He goes from a man who's zealous to do what God has called him to do, whatever lies in the way, to a man who says, God, who am I? Who am I to do this great thing? That's exactly right, Moses. You're a nobody. You're a shepherd. You're humble. You're patient. Now God can use you because you're meek. Numbers 12 tells us that he was very meek above all the men which were upon the face of the earth. Moses was the meekest man who ever lived because of 40 years of God preparing and purifying him. Now you're ready. Get this, Christian. Often when we finally feel that we're not adequate to do what God has called us to do, we're finally ready to be used by God. And please take that as encouragement today because if you feel that you are inadequate to do it, man, you're on the right path. You're on the right path. If you think that you're good enough or smooth enough or, or smart enough to do the thing, you're not ready. Because God needs you to spend some time in the desert shepherding sheep. Become humble and patient. Look at the, the juxtaposition. Look at the contrast between old Moses and new Moses. Before he was driven by anger, now he's driven by faith. Before he was empowered by the flesh, and now he's empowered by God Almighty. 
Before he was aggressive and now he's meek and humble. That's what God can do in your life if you'll submit to his preparation process. And whatever he gives you, submit to it. He gave him the burden first and that drove him to prepare. That's why he gives the burden to you first. So that'll drive you to prepare. That's why he does it that way. That's why he does it that way, because it'll transform you into who he needs you to be to do that thing. But we have to trust that God will prepare us and send us in his timing. And that's the last point here, the perfection of God's timing. We have to trust his timing. And if you understand this principle, it'll keep you from being frustrated at God. And I tell you, it'll keep you from being frustrated at your pastors or your your shepherds that are in authority over you. Because it's not your pastors that's holding you back. It's you holding you back. Because you're not ready. And God needs to work you. He needs to prepare you. He's still proving you. And if you will trust that God will send you in his timing, then you don't have to worry about getting a job as a pastor or something like that. He'll send you under the authority of the local church, by the way, when he's ready. And you're ready. I, I had that same story. I'm just telling you that God will prepare you in his timing. And when you can learn to have that perspective... You won't look at guys that you think are getting the, the, the opportunity in front of you. So I had that a few times where I thought, man, why'd that guy get the job? Or that guy get that opportunity and not me. But when you get this perspective, you're like, God will send me when he's ready for me. Not only will I be ready for it, it will be ready for me. Because you remember that Moses that the people weren't ready to lead them? Look at Acts 7.35. This Moses whom they refused, saying, who made thee a ruler and a judge? The same did God send to be a ruler and a deliverer by the hand of the angel which appeared to him in the bush. He brought them out after that he had showed them wonders and signs in the land of Egypt and in the Red Sea. That same guy, God prepared the man and he prepared the mission. And it's, if we trust God's timing... It will be way more effective, and you know what? We'll have even more joy in doing it because it'll be ready for us, and you'll get more opportunities than you would have if you would have did it in the power of your own flesh. So I just want to ask you, will you let him prepare you and prove you and trust his timing to send you? Because I'm telling you, Christian, you'll be more effective and you'll be less destructive if you will. If you don't, you'll end up just being another phony or you'll fizzle out along the way, never getting to fully enjoy living out the calling that God's placed in your heart. But if you can trust that the God who called you is faithful and wants you to be prepared for the mission, he's not holding back from you, it'll allow you to be patient for his timing. One of my favorite verses when I have been going through the ringer and I, and I feel like maybe I misheard from God, maybe I misheard the calling, 1 Thessalonians 5.24 says, Faithful is he that calleth you who what? Who will do it. He'll do it. He's faithful. You just got to trust him. I just want to leave us with this because this is how God sends his prepared servants in the New Testament church. Acts chapter 13, when Paul and Barnabas are sent out, notice this, starting in verse 2, as they did what? Ministered to the Lord while they were working and fasted. The Holy Ghost said, separate me, Barnabas and Saul, for the work whereunto I have called them. The work, not the place. The work. And when they had fasted and prayed and laid their hands on them, they sent them away. So they being sent forth by who? The Holy Ghost departed unto Seleucia. And from thence they sailed to Cyprus. Here's, here's the point. They were actively ministering to the Lord. They were walking with the Lord. The Holy Ghost made it clear to the church and to the leadership that Paul and Barnabas were to be separated. And that they were to be separated to a specific work that God was calling them to do. 
And the church leadership fasted and they prayed about it. And in agreement, the church laid hands on them and sent them out in accordance with the call of the Holy Ghost. That's how you're sent according to the word of God. And any man who comes and splits a church to get a church is not ordained of God. Don't follow that man. That man's not a shepherd. He's a divider. He's divisive. He wants his own kingdom. God doesn't say, come into a church, plant a seat of division, and when half the people like you better than the current pastor, take that church and make it a church. And I know I'm preaching to the choir because it happens a lot more in the south than it does up north, but I'm telling you, that's not ordained of God. I'm telling you, it's not. That's not how God plants his church. It's not what God calls you to do to the body of Christ. So let me just ask you, believer, as we end here, do you have a burden from the Lord? Praise God. What will you do next? What's your next step? What's your next step right here at Community Fellowship Baptist Church? What do you need to submit to? Man, I don't know. Maybe, maybe you had a burden 20 years ago and you just kind of, you know, the cares of this world and, and, the, and the craziness of life got in the way and you forgot about that burden. Man, what's your next step to getting back on track? What do you need to do? Do you need to submit to the Bible and your pastoral leadership so God prepares you the servant, to be the servant he needs you to be? Do you need to get plugged into discipleship? Do you need to be discipled? Have you been discipled and you need to do MTT? MTT, I know, we have it at our church. It stands for ministry, tools, and training. If you want to minister, you need to be equipped. You need the tools. Do you need to take MTT? Have you taken MTT and you're just like waiting for God? Don't wait for God. God calls men who are actively working. And he says, hey, you know how you're doing this thing here? Yeah, okay, go do it over there. That's how God works. What's your next step right here? And are you all in? Even if it costs? Wherever you lead me, whatever it costs me, Lord, all I need is you. We sang that earlier. Do you mean it? What's God telling you right now? What's the next step in your life? I trust that whatever it is, you'll take care of that right now. Let's pray. Father, I come to you tonight, this morning rather, and I just thank you for your word. Thank you for speaking to us through the Holy Ghost, through the words of this living book. Father, I pray that this book pierced us this morning. This sword that's sharper than any two-edged sword, I pray it pierced us and it saw the thoughts and intents of our hearts. And Lord, I just pray that whatever it showed us, that like David, we would say, Lord, search me, know my heart, and show me if there be any wicked way in me, Lord, so that we could be more like you. Whatever is the next step of the brother or sister in this room, I don't know them, Lord. And so if, if they feel really uncomfortable right now, well, my prayer was answered. But Lord, I I pray they understand it's you making them uncomfortable, not me. And I just pray that they would respond to whatever it is you're telling them to do. Whether it's to apologize to a brother or sister and get rid of that root of divisiveness that's in their heart. Or whether it's submitting to discipleship. Whether it's getting plugged back into ministry because they've taken some time off. Lord, I just pray that they would take their next step in you. And that they would seek to grow in you. And Lord, when the time is right and when they're prepared, you'll send them. And it won't be of their own accord. It'll be in the power of the Lord Jesus Christ, in the power of the Holy Ghost, and with the power of the Word of God. And this local church will rejoice as they gather around and lay hands on that man and that woman, and they send them to go do what you've called them to do. That's how it ought to be. You're not the author of confusion. You made a way, and I pray that we would submit to that way so that we can be your servant and be used by you. It's in your son's name that I pray. Amen.